that is of the gracious authority of Christ. Think about Christ himself. He comes first, how? As a babe in Bethlehem. As a servant, as a carpenter, as meek, as gentle, as lowly. And so the whole world missed it because they wanted a Savior and a Messiah to come in on a horse and a sword and draw, just throw all the Romans away. That's not how he came. He came in meekness and humility. Our hymn writers say, Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns composed so rich a crown. Paul shows up and he seems very lowly, very humble. There's not much to him. But boy, when he's away from us, <laughs> he sounds powerful and mighty. They, they think he's pulling a, a, a fraud deal on them. And he's like the cyber bully. Boy, behind a keyboard, they're tough. <laughs> They're anonymous, and they're posting stuff, and man, they're bold, and they're out there. But when you meet them face to face, they cower in fear because they're not the real thing. Kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Boy, the wizard had this front where he was powerful and courageous and bold. But you pull the curtains back, and he was a complete fraud. And Dorothy says, you're a bad man, a very bad man. And he says, I'm not a bad man, I'm, I'm just a bad wizard. Was Paul a bad wizard? That's what some in Corinth were saying. Well, you're bold when you're away, but when you show up, you're just so, you're so meek. They questioned whether or not he had true divine power in him and of him that was from God. Paul is not afraid to use force or church discipline if necessary. And you'll read more about this later on. But let's just say this. If the grace of Christ and His forgiveness and His gentleness and His humility and what He did for you on the cross does not move and transform your heart, we have nothing else. The law... And laying down the law only proves our inability to keep it. The law cannot heal. It can only reveal our sickness and our need for Christ. John Bunyan probably put it best when, when he said this about the difference in law and grace. Run, John, run, the law demands, but it gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. So I believe that when Christ, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, when He is held up as the means for salvation and growth and the transformation we need, the Holy Spirit will illumine Jesus and shine His light on Jesus to work and move in you and me to change our hearts. Then our urging draws out the gratitude and love we should feel. And that then becomes the heart's motive. Why do we serve? Not because the law is our master and we have to, but because Christ is our husband and we want to. So when Paul urges the Corinthians to take up an offering, 
When Paul urges the Corinthians to be bold and discerning in regards to the super apostles and false teachers, his rivals, he urges them to look first to Christ and his meekness and his grace. So here's what we should do. I don't know what issues and questions and decisions are confronting you right now in your personal life and what's going on with you. You, you know what's going on with you, and you know what's, what you're faced with over the next uh, few days and weeks. But let's go to what Paul says, and let's ask this question. In regards to the decisions you have to make, in light of what Jesus has done for you, in light of his meekness and in light of his mercy and patience toward you, now how shall you live? In light of what he's done for us, we should give and surrender and repent and trust and forgive. and serve. Everything flows from the gentleness and the grace of Christ. I will repeat. Motivating according to the flesh leads to despair. The Spirit forges His appeal through the gracious authority of Christ. The second thing I hear Paul saying, the first was in verses 1 and 2. Check out verse 3. At the end of verse 2, he said, You people think we're walking according to the flesh. We are not. Verse 3, oh, we're in, we're in bodies, we're fallen, we're limited. But look at verse 3. We do not war according to the flesh. So how do you fight the war you're in? Not according to the flesh, not with fleshly means and fleshly instruments, but of the Spirit, the things of God. And again, as we battle the world, the flesh, and the devil, how are we going to fight? What are we going to use? We've already said the flesh is already dead. It's lifeless. It's powerless. The flesh is cursed. Jesus said it's the Spirit which gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're going to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil on your own, apart from him, you have already lost. Think about Peter. He pulls out a sword. (laughs) They're coming to take Jesus, and he's going to fight. And he pulls out a steel sword, and he cuts off the ear of one of those who had come to arrest Jesus. What does Jesus tell Peter? Peter, put away your sword. You're fighting a spiritual battle with the flesh and with steel. If you live by the sword, you will also die by the sword. He said, at any time, I have at my disposal 10,000 angels that we could call, and we could settle this whole thing right now. But it was God's way and God's timing, which was crucial. So Jesus reaches up and touches and heals the ear of the man that Peter had cut off with the sword. Well, Peter should grasp right then and there, which is most powerful. His way, the way of the flesh... Or God's way, the way of the Spirit. So the weapons of our warfare, and you're in a war, in a battle every day, mind, heart, they're not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful. This is counterintuitive to your human instincts. 
is you want to fight, and you want to fight your way. It's like I've heard someone say, nobody ever had to teach you how to make a fist. (laughs) It came very naturally, didn't it? So all of this, our our warring according to the Spirit is counterintuitive. Paul says they are of God, they are spiritual, and they are divine. And notice that we do not war against people. Nowhere in here does he say our battle is with other people. In fact, in Ephesians 6, it says it's not with other people. Your battle is in the spiritual realm with, with, with principles and powers and enemies way far beyond us. And so here's what our battle is. He says our battle is with speculations, thoughts, opinions, ideas. We in our cult, we've lost the ability to argue on the opinion idea level and now we're just attacking people and not the ideas that they hold which are the speculations and the lofty things opposed to the knowledge of God which is found primarily in the face of Christ. The primary battle we are fighting is in verse 5. It's in your thought life. The Bible says as a man thinks in his thoughts so is he. So how do we destroy speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Look at verse 5. Send all of your thoughts surrendering to captivity to Christ. Every thought you have. This tells me that I can't be trusted with my own thoughts. That's a scary thing. I knew a guy who used to say, my my mind is like a bad neighborhood. I never go into it by myself. You know it. Hey, if we were to put your thoughts this week up on screen for everybody to say, you'd have to leave town. Every thought captive to Christ, that's how the spiritual battle is fought and won, relying on Him and His Word and His power. So take every thought captive surrendering to Christ, submit every thought to His will and rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and mind. Commit to thinking and then obeying all that He commanded. Hey, be transformed, He said in Romans 12, by the renewing of your mind, right? So the battle is here. And what I'm thinking, so this is what I did. I wrote down some thoughts that I have and that you have, that, that we need to surrender these to Jesus. And we need to say, Christ, what do you say about these thoughts? Now, see, Satan, gonna, he, he's not going to show up at the back door back there and, and, and one, one Sunday in a, in a red cape and horns and say to us, hey, all of you, I've got a better way. Come follow me. We're going to look at him like he's an idiot. But he's very subtle. He works very diligently in the mind to lead us astray. And that's why Paul is saying, you've let let these super apostles deceive you. Satan can masquerade himself as an angel of light. So what are those thoughts you you talked about? Okay, here they are. Here's one you need to take captive to Christ and send it back to hell where it doesn't belong. The thought that you're worthless. You ever think that? I'm worthless. You need to send that thought to Christ and see Him being crucified in your stead and see how valuable you are 
to the love of God. They're trying to make Paul feel less worth than they have. Paul says, I'm in Christ just as you're in Christ. I've got all the resources you have. The whole kingdom's mine. Some of us say, I'll never ever defeat this sin pattern in my life. I'll never defeat it. Take that captive to Christ. Sin shall not be your master, for you're no longer under law, you're under grace. Take all these. I can't elaborate on all these. The thought that, hey, the wicked have it better off than the righteous. I'd be better off being wicked. They look like they have it better. There are very specific psalms that deal with this very issue. David said the same thing. And God dealt with him. And you need to read how God dealt with him. He thought the same thing and he was on a slippery slope about to to throw away his faith and all the generations before him. How about this one? I deserve better than this. (laughs) I deserve better than this. You need to send that one back to hell where it belongs. And you need to take that thought captive to Christ because that will lead to bitterness. It will lead to ingratitude. It will lead to resentment. Let that thought go to Christ and see in Him what you deserved. On Calvary, bruised and beaten and taken upon Himself the wrath of God. That's where we should, that's where we deserve to be. Poor little old me. (laughs) I can't elaborate on all these. I, I can't wait any longer. I'll pay them back somehow. I'll show them how important I am. I can't make it without this. Here's one. God doesn't see me or care about me. Or maybe you say about somebody else. I hate them. Or maybe you say it about something. You're making an idol of it. I have to have that and I have to have it now. Or I wish I had what they have. I could go on and on. You get the idea. All your greedy, bitter, grumbling, complaining, envious, fearful thoughts, they need to be surrendered to Christ. And say, what does Christ say about this? What does the Bible say about this? What does the gospel say about this? And wage war in that way, and then the works of the flesh will be drowned out By the fruit of the Spirit in you. And God will replace those sinful fleshly thoughts with a spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and selflessness and self-control. Every man has a kingdom within him. You have a whole world inside of you. And that whole world inside of you needs to be surrendered to Christ. And then that will begin to transform the world outside of you and around you. i got many passages of Scripture that I could give you. Philippians 4, Ephesians 6, Matthew 5, Romans 12. Which tell you how to wage this war with the enemies that we have in a very different way from the way humanity and man-centered thinking will tell you to fight. Martin Luther, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., 
all three great examples from history on, had they relied totally and completely on man's way of doing things, complete and other chaos and destruction would result. You say, we're, we're there anyway. It could be worse. Martin Luther said this, as he battled the papal corruption and indulgences of the Catholic Church, he said this as he led, to the, as, as he led the Reformation. He said this, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept, the Word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The Word did everything. That's just one example. So, we say to ourselves, I will rely on. I will rely on worship. I will rely on the church. I will rely on the word of God. I will rely on prayer. I will rely on obedience. I will fight my battles first and foremost on my knees. Or as my wee little aunt used to say to me, as I began the Bible, Miss Mary Will Avery, she said, Neil, read your Bible and pray, pray, pray. She repeated that every time I saw her. Read your Bible and pray, pray, pray. I'm not trying to be oversimplistic, but it has to start there. Then last of all, and I'll close with this. Paul talks a lot about the delusion of boasting according to the flesh. The delusion of boasting according to the flesh. The Spirit will find His glory and boast in the supremacy of Christ alone. Look, y'all, we have no means of boasting. Paul says if we compare ourselves with ourselves, sure, we can try to make ourselves look better. But when we all compare ourselves to Christ, it humbles us and breaks us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you can't measure yourself with others to, to gauge your own performance. They looked at Paul and said, he doesn't look like much. They said about, look, I wouldn't have my picture made with the Apostle Paul after he preaches. He's horrible looking. Now, I'm not being too hard on the Apostle Paul. But commentators debate this whole appearance thing. and How they were just, you know, judging based on, on appearance and, and performance and oratory. And his, his ability to be a fantastic speaker. Apparently, the Corinthians thought he, he didn't look like much and he didn't sound like much. So they misdiagnosed him. Did y'all read this week about the guy who sold a baseball card for $2? Turned out the baseball card is probably worth millions of dollars. Misdiagnosing the value and worth of something by how it looks. Try explaining that one to your wife. <laughs> I sold a card today for $2. <laughs> Worthless thing. Yeah, but who you sold it to is going to get millions for it, right? We're guilty of it all the time. Judging by appearances, that's why they miss Christ. The Jewish people had no framework for a crucified Messiah. Misdiagnosis and misclassification. You will always be frustrated if you compare yourself to others. Comparison kills contentment. I was on a run the other day. I'm still trying to maintain a bit of physical health. While I was running, a young guy blew right past me like he was running a sprint. 
I said, good grief, I need to quit. <laughs> About five minutes later, I met somebody on that same path. It's a guy about my age, like he had maybe his mom with him, and she was guiding him along. He could barely walk. I said, oh, Lord, I'm not going to quit. To one, I looked great. <laughs> to one, I looked awful. It's that way every time you try to compare yourself with fallen, sinful human beings. Listen, the Bible says the fear of man is a trap and it is a snare. So what is the ultimate issue? Paul says we will never boast in anything other than Christ and the cross of Christ. The ground is level around the cross. Do not fall into the trap of judging where you are spiritually, financially, emotionally, physically with other human beings. They are fallen beings, deeply flawed and deeply, deeply, and it is, listen, it is killing our attitudes. It's killing our emotions. So we boast in God. Why? Because He's done the work for us in Christ. We can't commend ourselves. All of my righteousness before Him is as filthy rags. You're going to present that to a holy God to, to recommend yourself to Him and His kingdom? How does God approve of me? How does God commend me? That's the question. So when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within... Upward we look and see Him there who made an end of all of our sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. That's where you go. You go to the gospel. So Kyle Kane at his grandfather's funeral the other day. This is week two I'm talking about Kyle at his grandfather's funeral. I thought he used a great example. Of the thief on the cross when he's in heaven. There's that thief. There's that rogue that took from people. What's he doing here? What, what commends him to be up here with the pure and the righteous? I love what Kyle said. Kyle said that you could imagine him saying, The guy hanging on the middle cross told me I could be here. Truly I say to you this day you shall be with me in paradise. What good news. What a statement. Who commends a thief like that to be with the righteous? I tell you who God does in Christ and His righteousness alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as Paul defended his authority, he did so ultimately with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was his one true desire I know that we sin and fall short of your glory constantly. It's, it's what it means to be, as Paul said, uh, in this body of flesh. But we long for the day when we will have new bodies. And we will wrestle and struggle with sin no more. But help us to continue and sustain us, Father, we pray to continue by walking according to the Spirit and not the flesh. Paul so greatly demonstrated that in his life and ministry, that his humility, his, his sufferings, his brokenness. Forgive us for judging and estimating something's worth 
based on how the world would see it outwardly. Father, may we not be so shallow, but plunge us into the depths of your love and the meaning the gospel has to every single one of us. May we rejoice in it. May we boast in it and not make an idol out of any other person, place, or thing. You alone, to you alone be all glory and honor and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. As Catherine comes and leads us, you come. seated. Let's now take our offering if our deacons will come forth.
Every day this week, I hope that each and every one of you, including myself, will trust and obey. We serve a living, raised Savior. He's kind, he's gracious to us. He provides for us in every aspect of our lives. And one thing that we need to remember is this fact, that the only way that we can understand ourselves is to read his word and be on his knees, on our knees with prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this time that we spend together. And throughout the course of our lives, may we always be in tune with you, no matter what the situation may be. And to understand that it's according to your will, Lord, that we live the life that we need to live for you. So as we come before you with our tithes and offerings, Lord, we just ask that you bless it to the furtherment of your kingdom. And in turn, we'll just give you all the praise and glory and honor, which you so richly deserve. For it's in Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen. Please stand for our benediction. We'd love to see you tonight. Children, youth, and adult Bible studies, so forth at 6. And choir is at 5. Amen. I urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ to join the choir. <laughs> if that doesn't work, I don't know what else. But I'm not going to twist your arm. Catherine.